The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. I'd like to start out today by directing your attention, as I always do, to wealthformula.com, where you can get all sorts of resources that we don't provide you on the podcast, downloads. You can get a copy of my free book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, simply by going to wealthformula.com and uh, clicking on that PDF, or you can also text me at 44222 and type in Wealth Formula. Again, that is 44222 Wealth Formula, one word. Now, uh, some of you who may have read my weekly Wealth Widget know that this has been a tough uh, week in Montecito, and if you've been watching the national news, you know why as well. You know, it's it's been crazy, uh, you know, these mudslides. You never really thought uh, this kind of thing would be that big of a deal from the way it started out. It was like we're going to have some rain. The next, you know, we had uh, we had some evacuation notices up near the mountain. And then, boom, the next thing you know, you know, we wake up the next morning and there's, you know, wood chips and debris all over the beach. There's no sand. There's cars literally in the water. And I run into my neighbor who lives uh, a little bit further inland. We're on the beach, and she says that there's literally, literally people being pulled from the mud like dead. So, I mean, it's crazy to see that in a place like this, which is a small beach town. And just a reminder that it can happen anywhere. Fortunately, we got out safely. We're just praying for everybody who's still there. And uh, some people have not been found yet, so that's a little scary. But um, anyway, those of you who, uh, a a number of you actually emailed me and uh, wished me well, and I do appreciate that. Thanks for doing that. Today, I want to talk a little bit about something that I think is important and will sort of relate to this idea of uh, life and death and that sort of thing, too. You know, it's related to uh, retirement funds and income. Now, I don't have an IRA or a 401k like a lot of people do. In fact, most people who I know uh, who are high net worth or ultra net worth don't have uh, these particular accounts. You see, what I've realized is that, you know, more and more is that as I continue to gradually climb up this wealth ladder, so to speak, that there seems to be a separate set of rules at each level. And I'm discovering those. It's kind of crazy. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think uh, that there's anything wrong with a traditional retirement account um, in that paradigm with the IRA and 401k. It's just that there's so many other options out there that literally 99% of the people out there have no idea about. And that's one of the reasons I really like doing this podcast, this Wealth Formula podcast, because I feel like I'm sort of a special agent sent from the professional world, you know, like doctors and lawyers. And I'm, I've am i been sent to spy on the ultra wealthy and bring back their secrets uh, to share with you. Sort of like the James Bond of the financial world, where sort of the, the enemy is, well, not the enemy, but the I'm trying to steal s- secrets from the ultra wealthy. Now, some of these products and strategies that I've learned about and sort of discovered from these folks and bringing back to you are absolutely mind-boggling. And the best part of it is, is that I'm figuring out ways that we can make some of these things available to you as a high-paid professional uh, rather than having it restricted to somebody who's worth you know tens of millions of dollars. Now, uh, one of the guys who's been teaching me uh, about this strategy, about a number of strategies, frankly, is a guy by the name of Christian Allen, 
who's very, very bright, um, and he's been working with uh, ultra-high net worth individuals for years. And he's now partnered up with me to help me you know, continue to sort of uncover a lot more of these strategies uh, to help professionals like us, like you, to get an opportunity to participate in some of these unfair advantages of normally only available to the ultra high net worth individuals. Now, you are going to really want to make sure that you tune into this podcast today and that you listen to every word because it could really, really change the course of the way you do things going forward, particularly if you, you know, if you have, uh, if you're a high paid professional. So when we come back, Christian Allen. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com, accesswealthaviation.com. So my guest today is Christian Allen. Christian has been in the financial services industry since about 2004. He's a member of the AALU. I don't know what that means, but it it certainly sounds important. (laughs) Uh, And he holds the designations of an accredited asset management specialist and accredited wealth management advisor. Now, he's got a really broad base of knowledge on uh, a bunch of different financial products, but it's really been focused in on uh, these things that are broadly known as LERPs. And we'll talk about that um, in a minute, but and that has really been the focus of most of his career. And his typical client, well, it's you, you know, the high paid professional, the entrepreneur, uh, basically the mid to all the way up to the ultra high net worth uh, group. And, uh, you know, I've learned a ton of, uh, just a ton from him, and I'm really happy to have him on the show today. So, Christian, uh, Christian Allen, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, Buck. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you. I've really enjoyed the time that we've spent working together up to this point, and and uh, similarly, I've learned a lot. I, as you mentioned, I kind of started in the industry maybe a little bit more traditional, but really quickly started to find myself leaning towards the alternative uh, based approaches, things that I really found that I believed in. And so the, the types of, the types of things that you teach people about really resonate with me. And I'm always excited to be able to use whatever I know, what knowledge I have to make uh, investing as, as efficient and, and powerful as possible for people. Yeah, it really just blows my mind that you know, every time I think I've learned, you know, all these secrets or these little weapons, it's like more and more. I mean, just even stuff we were talking about before we started the show today, which we'll get into. But let's start broadly for because, sure. um, you know, you're um, say, you know, really what I want to focus on today is the concept of retirement account, right? Because, you know, I think uh, well, people people know where retirement accounts are, generally speaking, when they talk about IRAs, 401ks. Um, but when you when you talk about this cohort of high-paid professionals, what do you see them doing? And um, specifically, you know, potentially what, what, sh- you know, what are the options out there for them that they may not know about? Yeah, so maybe the first place to start is just what we normally see with people um, who – Maybe you've just grown up in the system, right? So we we generally see people initially in defined contribution plans, which just means that's that's your 401k, your IRA. It's places where basically the government defines how much money you can contribute to it uh, to a plan. And so that's where kind of the majority of people play in 
and so and and there's some value in those places right and yet i think what we're going to get into buck is how we can create potentially in many situations value above and beyond that but really what we're traditionally seeing is 401ks iras roth iras right those types of kind of typical things that most people are aware of or understand at least to some extent so let's break these down a little bit first of all what's the purpose i mean i want to get really basic here because i think a lot of people frankly they they may not even really know what the big deal is about these things right why were they designed in the first place why was an ira or 401k designed and what's the idea behind it yeah so back in the day uh most people had defined defined benefit plans which is just the opposite of a defined contribution plan, meaning that it was kind of these pen- the pension world. And ever since the pension world kind of uh, has started to fade out, now we still see them in, you know, some big corporations and things like that, uh, governments, things like that. But for the most part, those have kind of faded out. And so what the government has done is they've created a situation where really we're responsible to fund our own retirements. And what they've done is said, okay, because we're putting that on you as the individual, as the working American, uh, we're going to create some potential tax benefits. So let me just get into the two types you talked about. We've got traditional IRAs. Really, all that means is that we're deferring taxes to a future date. The same thing would apply to a 401k, which is just a group version of an IRA. So again, in that situation, I bring money in, but I don't pay taxes on it as I bring that income in, I actually defer that to some future date. And we can talk here in the future about, or here uh, in just a few minutes about the positive and negatives of doing that. Like I said, the same thing applies to a 401k. And then more recently we started to, the the government gave us another option, uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago in the Roth, the the Roth IRA, Roth 401k, which is even more uh, recent than that. But in that world, what we're doing is is we're bringing money in in our regular income, then we're we're not taking the tax deduction immediately, and instead we're going to take uh, we're going to have that money grow basically tax free from then on out. And so, really, the question here has to do with what your income is at today versus where it's going to be in the future, uh, and then the other part would just be what taxes are today versus what we think they're going to be in the future. And that really defines whether an individual would uh, find themselves moving towards something that creates a tax deduction today in a traditional IRA versus wanting to get the tax deductions along the way and into the future, which is what you do with a Roth IRA. Yeah, you know, the way I see it, too, the traditional way of deferring tax, you know, now and then, and so it's sort of kicking the can down um, to the future, right? I mean, you're going to ultimately pay tax on this, but you're going to accumulate it tax-free. The challenge with that, in my view, is that that you're going to end up paying, and there's a very good chance that you may end up paying more tax in the future than than there is now. I mean, we're we're at sort of a one of the lowest tax taxing periods in American history, right? So the idea yeah. that taxes are somehow going to actually go down or even be the same is probably not likely. It's it's just it's not a safe bet, in my view. The other thing is that um, yeah, you know, people. This assumes that you're going to be poor, <laughs> right? This assumes sure. that yeah. that your tax bracket is going to go down when you're older. And I don't know about you, but. I'm hoping to continue to be making a lot of money from my investments and that sort of thing. I mean, don't you think fundamentally that's what it comes down to, the idea of deferring now versus deferring later? Yeah, I agree. And in fact, my experience tells me that people are at least as frustrated about their tax situations as they move into what we'll call quote-unquote retirement as they are today. And and, and there's a few factors that come into this, right? So not only... um, do we have the very questionable or very likely possibility that taxes are more likely to increase in the future? I mean, let's face it, Buck, we've got, we've got a national debt crisis. We've got, um, you know, we've got some, we've got healthcare, we've got social security. These are kind of all things that are a little bit of a mess. And really the only way for those things to change is to, to, it seems like at least to increase taxes. Now, 
Uh, so my take on this is that for the majority of people, taxes are likely to go up in the future rather than down. And then in conjunction with that, we don't have the same kinds of tax deductions in the future that I have when I'm young. So, for example, if I'm a if I'm a doctor or a lawyer and I'm, you know, 40 years old making good money and I've got a couple kids and a house and those kind of things, I can get some deductions then. But as I get into those, those future times, I might not have a house payment anymore. I may not... Uh, have young kids that are, you know, creating write-offs and so forth. So there's a lot of things that change there. But I think for most people, uh, my recommendation is generally going to be let's pay the tax today because, like you said, we are at a historically low rate in comparison to what we've seen over the long haul. And, in fact, uh, for anyone I talk to, remind me, I'll make sure that I show a graph because I think it, it's pretty eye-opening. We feel like taxes are really high today. And uh, in comparison, they really aren't. So the, the chances are, I, I believe, that taxes will go up. Now, before I finish that thought, there are situations where, let's say I'm talking to a high-paid professional that hasn't been able to save a significant amount of money, um, and they're a little bit older, then there might be some situations where it makes sense to, to defer taxes to a future point. But I would say, in general, if you're a good saver, uh, your, bet, your bet would be best served going for uh, future tax savings rather than current tax savings. Part of the problem, though, for high-paid professionals is, uh, or high-paid individuals is that there's a limit on the Roth, right? I mean, you can't, you can only put in yeah. so much. What What is the limit right now? Yeah, I mean, you're going to be, it, it's going to be different depending on individual, but if you, you can just use a general rule at about $150,000 of gross income. Uh, so if you if you're generating more than 150 grand, you're going to be phased out of a Roth altogether. And there's some kind of things you can do to they call it a backdoor Roth, which exists out there. Uh, we run into here and there, but but really, for most people, uh, using a Roth IRA gets phased out relatively quickly. So especially for the listeners here, uh, who are generally high paid professionals, uh, Roth may not even be something that's available. Right. The question is. You know, where do we save money instead? Right. So, um, you know, I want to I want to keep moving along because of the important stuff. But to me, what we've got right now is that we I mean, at least from my perspective, I think um, at least you and I agree, Christian, that if you have a choice between um, doing a Roth option and and the regular deferral, Roth would be a better way to go. Um, The other thing that I agree, yeah. That we won't really address on this because we've talked about it uh, a, a fair amount in episode 79 is the other thing that you can do with an IRA um, or a 401k is you can you can self-direct it. So most of the time we think about, you know, we think about these accounts as accounts that are effectively uh, invested in the equity markets. Um, you know, most likely if you have an IRA or a any kind of defined contribution plan like this it's probably in a bunch of mutual funds well you can you can self-direct it and you can actually invest in real assets like real estate gold or you know things like that so so that again is episode 79 but these are you know for the most part these are the options that most people at least who you know who um my uh, on my show have familiarity with and this is also you know, pretty much the options that you have if you make, you know, under one hundred fifty, you know, hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? Um, but what I discovered uh, is is that when I started really making money myself, and I started talking to people, and ultimately culminating with you, is this whole world out there where everybody who I know now who is a high net worth person doesn't have an IRA, they don't have a four hundred one k, they have what's called uh, commonly known as a LERP or a life insurance retirement plan. So tell us broadly, what is a LERP and, you know, what this broad yeah, category? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, so when we talk about a LERP, like you said, Buck, it stands for a life insurance retirement plan. And what's happening here is that we're getting the same tax benefits that we get with a Roth IRA, except it's in a life insurance policy, which grows cash, uh, and can do it significantly. We can talk about how how we do that, but ultimately the focus on a LERP is to utilize a policy which we don't, which we're 
not having to deal with contribution limits or income limits to create some of the same value that we can get with uh, a traditional Roth IRA. So in that way, it acts an awful lot like it with even more freedom and flexibility. So really, when we talk about LERPs, that's our focal point. And then when you talk about LERPs, um, you know, I, I see this parallel again with what we've talked about in terms of IRAs and self-directed IRAs and that sort of thing. The, you know, so right now, you know, people who keep their money in the stock market through IRAs or Roth IRAs, they're pretty happy because usually, you know, they're kept in the equity markets and the S&P 500, uh, you know, I read today was up something like 17 and a half percent. Uh, since Trump took office. Yeah. And so, you know, if, of course, if I've got an IRA and I'm invested in the markets, I feel pretty good, even though there's probably some fees and stuff like that or that are making me not do quite as well. So say I've been making, um, you know, $200,000 per year. Uh, and I still, despite the fact that, you know, this might be a bubble economy, this might be a bubble stock market, I still want to have exposure to that stock market because I haven't lost belief in it, right? Because I still believe that there is value in having money in the equity markets. In that case, there's a product that just completely blows me away. It's called Velocity Plus, and that's one of the kinds of LERPs that you're talking about, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is a this is a product I'm super excited about. And, and one of the reasons I'm excited about this is because Historically, this kind of strategy has really only been available to your high net worth $10 million plus. And the reason for that is because we're going to add a unique component of leverage. So uh, a couple of things that I think are really important. One is we're going to get exposure to the equity market, but we're not going to be participating in the downside of that. So in other words, when we in this type of a product, we actually are going to have what we call a cap and a floor. Our floor is going to be zero. Our cap is going to be maybe 12 or 13, depending on uh, what the actual, what, what company and product we're using. But ultimately, I have the ability to get a return and have exposure to those equity market, to the equity market and the equity gains without having to worry about that tank that happened in 2002 or three or that happened in 2008. So those two things really make it unique. And maybe I could add the third, right? We already talked about taxes, but now we add in this exposure to the equity markets without downside risk. And we add to it this really, really unique component, which is being able to leverage and use other people's money to help fund this product. Really, really unique in the marketplace today. Yeah. I mean, it, this just, I guess, it just totally blows my mind, right? Because Basically, what you're doing here is you're saying, okay, I'll take twelve or up to twelve or thirteen percent of the upside. If the market crashes, which it will, which it will, I'm not going to participate in that. I'll just keep my money the way it is, and then I'll wait for it to go back up again. Now, again, what's interesting to me too is the first time I uh, uh, Christian told me about that, he's just like, well, there's a cap, twelve or thirteen percent on the top, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's still pretty good, twelve or thirteen. But then I realized. He's leaving out the leverage, right? So it's 12 or 13% on the upside, but then you add leverage to that. So that's that's leveraged depreciation, basically, right? It's, it's not just 12% on your money. It's 12% on the money that you borrowed. So I haven't done the math on this, but to me, when I look at that, um, say you got a three-to-one leverage, uh, which from my understanding, that's sort of the you know, the lower level tier, you can get a lot more of that potentially. And the market, as I just sure. said, the S&P 500 just went up 17.5%. Well, with three to one leverage in 12%, you're probably at or greater than 17.5%. So effectively, you're taking like, you know, essentially the full upside. I mean, just about the full upside, uh, if not more of the S&P 500 and not taking the downside. So the question that comes into my mind and probably everybody else here and I'm you know how is this possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good question. So yeah. so there's a couple of things that I think are really important elements to this question. Um first of all, 
the, the first thing to remember is that it's not a new concept, right? So the easiest thing to do is to think about how we use leverage in general, right? So it, it's kind of like if I was to purchase real estate on leverage, which, which is totally common and everybody does, um, we'd be wondering the same thing if this was a new concept. How is it possible? Well, in reality, banks are banks are excited or they're comfortable doing this because they have an asset in life insurance that's an incredibly strong, stable asset that they're using as collateral. So really the dynamic here is that banks are comfortable lever are comfortable loaning at really what's a really strong competitive rate. I mean, right now it's a LIBOR plus a percent and a half percent, 1.75%. So you're getting maybe three and a half to 4% loan and having the ability to utilize uh, other people's money. And like you said, let's just take it at a three to one ratio well, you've got $3 for every one of your own, and now you're getting those same benefits on all of them. But, but again, I think there's a couple of things that come back to that. One is, is that it's a, it's a concept that's been around for a long time that's been being used by the high net worth people. Um, and then two, it's, a, comfort, it's a, con, uh, a concept that banks are totally comfortable with because they haven't lost money on it. It's been a good deal for them. It's been a good deal for the consumer. And so anytime you can create a win-win situation, I think uh, everyone's on board with that. Yeah, and from the from the insurance company, it's basically an options play, right? I mean, I don't want to get too into the weeds on that, but that's that's the answer for the most part on that because I wondered about that myself. Yeah, for sure, and and that's a and that's a conversation I'm happy to get in with people on an like when we talk to. Uh, we can get into those kind of details and there are some really interesting and intriguing details that come out to it, but really bucket kind of in my mind goes back to one of the things you always talk about, which is the math. And once you understand the math, things start to make a lot more sense. And the similar thing happens here. Once we kind of pull back the layers a little bit and can take a glimpse in inside of what's really happening, it's just a matter of understanding the math behind it. And, and uh, again, once you do that, it's a, it's pretty easy to see that, that it's a winning proposition and going back to your you know really quickly going back to your returns question uh recently we did a podcast or we did a webinar on this and uh and i think when we ended up doing the calculation toward the end uh we were conservatively looking at 18 percent and just what would be an average market so an average yeah, market certainly some- being one that's what like eight or nine percent um, like yeah, a, well, we know. actually use this. Uh, we actually use just under seven yeah, percent as our as our yield. Yeah, and so we use what I would say is a conservative market, and based on that market play, uh, we were able to generate over. I think we wanted. To, I think it was over a fifteen year period of time that we showed, but it was generating just over eighteen percent. So I think it's a really let, let's put it this way. I, of course, I'm biased because this is what I do. Um, but I truly believe in it. And if I'm going to be in the retirement planning world, if I'm a high income individual that has the ability to save money, then, uh, and I want to do that for the long term in a retirement type account, then I would use this, uh, all day long. Cause I just think I, I haven't seen anything like it. So I'm pretty excited. about Yeah. It. And, and one more thing, I'm just going to throw this out because there are, there are some listeners I know, cause I talk to them every day and, some of you who are um, in the you know uh, higher net worth, ultra high net worth area where you're at 10 million plus, I mean, the leverage can be significant. And in fact, it can be even infinite, right? So talk a little bit about that, Absolutely. Christian, because that again, I mean, you just told me about that a little while ago and made me smile. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really intriguing concept. And in fact, uh, uh, just in our conversations, Buck, I put this I put this proposal together specifically for you, so I know that it fits, right? But yeah. but it doesn't have to be somebody that's uh, like you that has a you know twenty five thirty plus million dollar net worth. It could be you know again really anybody that's in kind of that ten plus range. Uh, but the idea here is that rather than actually putting out physical dollars, I have the ability to just use the collateral system. So. I can basically have money in the places that I already invest. So I'll give you an example. Working with a client recently who has a lot of qualified money 
um, somewhere in the range of five or six million dollars of qualified money that he's just planning to kind of sit there and it'll just continue to be invested. And simply by collateralizing a million dollars of that, we had six hundred thousand dollars of premium going in for 10 years with zero out of pocket coming from him as the individual. And it's a really effective strategy. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, there's situations that can make sense to talk about, and an infinite return is absolutely possible. Yeah, and you, from that hard, standpoint, it's hard to beat. I like infinite returns if possible. And I yeah. think what's really awesome about that, too, is that, <clears throat> you know, I've talked to some people about this, and they're like, hey, you know, I already have all this money in my sitting in my IRA. So it's not really something I can do with that. Well, no, now there is, really. I mean, you could actually do exactly what Christian just said. If 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 you meet those criteria and are higher net worth, you potentially could collateralize your IRA. So anyway, that is probably not going to apply to most people, but there is a handful of you. So make sure uh, you reach out um, to him about that. Now, one of the questions that comes along, of course, is, you know, the other thing with IRAs is, you know, like we talked about before, most of the times these things are just when they're when they're invested in the equity markets, they're invested uh, via uh, mutual funds and other <clears throat> types of vehicles like that. Right. And we know that sure. mutual funds are going to have a three to four percent uh, fees. Right. So right off the top, I mean, you got to make a lot of money if you're going to make any sort of if you're going to make the needle move at all on your money here. So, you know, obviously life insurance has some costs to it. Can you address that at, in, in the context of comparing it to costs, um, you know, in your typical investment? Yeah, absolutely. So I recently, and just over the last few years, they've been ongoingly doing um, this research on the average return that an investor gets in the market. And and I should actually be really, be really clear here because I'm personally not someone that says that, you know, that has no room for the market. And yet I also have to realize the limitations. So maybe what I'll just suggest here is that it's interesting to me studies that are out there showing that the average investor is getting a three and a half percent return, which seems incredibly strange when you consider the fact that you look back in market history periods and you're seeing 10, 11, 12 percent averages. Well, the question that comes into my mind, Buck, is what what's the difference? What's the difference between a regular individual investor and what the market's doing as a whole. There's really three factors <laughs> right, that come right. to mind. The first one is uh, the, the first one has to do with the fees that you talked about. So naturally, you know, there, when we talk about kind of average returns, we're not really getting into the fee component and that can vary depending on, you know, how you invest and who you're working with and all those things. Uh, and then the next one I think is emotions. Just the, nat- the the nature of investing in the market can be emotional and it can be kind of a, take a toll on us. And a lot of people just don't have the stomach to see it go up and down with really not a lot of personal control over it. Uh, and then finally, that third. The, so, so going back to that, basically, they're doing the opposite of what we're taught to do. Right. The idea is buy low, sell high. And emotions don't always allow for that to happen. Uh, anyway, the third one is that there's a big difference between an actual return and an average return. Averages just simply take a bunch of numbers and then they divide it by the years and they don't really take into account where a dollar started, what happened during that time frame. And what most people don't realize is that the market downs hurt more than the ups help. So in other words, if I go down by 50%, uh, I'm going to have to do a significantly greater return on the upside to get back to get, get it back up. Uh, anyway, but like I said, I'm, I, I actually do believe that there is a place for the market. Um, and so I'm not one of those people that feels like there's, you know, it's, it's something that we should just totally leave alone. Uh, anyway, okay, so let's go back to the, uh, to the, I guess the, the question, life insurance side the, of things. Yeah, the question is, yeah. I mean, I, I, listen, I, I agree there's a place for the market and my place will be right inside of one of these accounts, right? Where I don't have to take the downside. That but, might be the best place, right? For sure. But the question yeah, no, is, I think that that's a compelling argument. But the the fees, you know, uh, life insurance, you know, we're we're taught at least, and what I remember hearing early on when 
you know, people tell you the basic stuff about investing is life insurance is, in, you know, is ex, uh, permanent life insurance or whole life insurance or, you know, you know, universal, whatever it may be is expensive. And so stay away from it. So why is this, yeah. you know, how is it? Because the, the way I've seen this now, effectively, from the way I'm looking at it, it's actually quite cheap. Uh, if you compare it to annual fees that you might get from a mutual fund or your advisor, et cetera, it, it sounds like it's quite cheap. And in the long run, ultimately, your your life insurance that you would be paying, if even if you're paying for term insurance, uh, your life insurance becomes effectively free, right? You sure. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's a couple of. Oh, sorry. I'll let you finish. No, no. I'm just. I'm just trying to. Uh, you know, my understanding of this obviously is not. Um, you know, quite to your depth. So I'm just trying to uh, bring out some ideas that I've. Yeah. That I come in. Maybe you can sort of shed light on those. No, I think those are good thoughts. Yeah, let's talk about those for just a minute. Um, really, what's happening, and I always tell people this up front. So if you're gonna if you're gonna use life insurance as a way to invest money as a way to grow value, really in whatever shape or form, um, it's initially probably not a – it's not a good one-year investment. So let's go with that, <laughs> Well, right? neither is life let's insurance just, well, in general. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's not a one-year – good one-year investment. Yeah, right? yeah, that's a great point, right? So the idea isn't to purchase for one year. So, so here – and really I should probably distinguish a couple things. So the first thing to distinguish is that there's a massive difference in the structure – and the way that we're building a policy. See, most people don't realize, Buck, just that there's a lot of fluidity and a lot of flexibility in the way that these, the way that life insurance works in general. There's also a lot of different kinds. The first thing maybe that would be helpful for listeners to understand is that us as advisors have a huge amount of freedom to be able to build a policy to fit an individual. What we normally find out there are policies that are built for death benefit. And maybe built for the agent's benefit more than, you know, that's kind of yeah. the life insurance uh, history is that we're going to build it to create compensation for the agent rather than for the uh, for the client. And we just have totally reversed that trend. Our focus is to do high volume and focus really on creating the very best results. So the first thing to remember is just that there is a big difference between a traditionally funded policy and a fund and a policy that we call max funded which is going to be completely and totally focused on growth. So um, that's the first part. Once we get into this world where we're realizing that the policy structure is unique and it is far more valuable, especially from a cash building standpoint, uh, once I get into there, really it's one of those things where for the first year it's a bad investment, but after I get down the road, even a few years, it becomes really, really inexpensive to the tune of under 1%. So in essence, I'm going to go in and expect to get a 5 to 6% tax-free return that depending on I can either get leverage on that or I can get or I can use it for banking like we talk about there's really a lot of ways I can do yeah. that but ultimately because of the way that we fund it if I look at it over a 10 15 20 year period of time I'm going to have a, basically a free death benefit and I'm going to have paid under 1% for the fees because the focus is really on building cash. Yeah, and and presumably so with hopefully the, that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, it does, and, the, and and presumably with the Velocity Plus product where you're getting up to twelve percent, and if you're averaging seven percent, and then you put leverage on top of that, you're talking about potentially double digits for most of those years. That's tax free, not not even five, like a regular whole policy. Um, yeah, no, that, I think that's a great point, and I probably should have just uh, just clarified that. So. When we talk about Velocity Plus and creating leverage, um, that's where we're using the market index to create value. So it's certainly possible that I could be getting double-digit returns, even in the policy itself, and then I create leverage on top of that, and it can become really unique. Right. And then there's this other strategy, which you know I know you've talked about, Buck, and I and I kind of started to flip back and forth between the two. No, yeah, and and, and so. Um... You know, I just just again, I just want to say, I mean, you know, I've not for for people who listen to me, they know uh, that I'm not, you know, I'm not a big fan of the stock market for years. You know, but people 
I, I give them this, that if they have invested in the markets for the last, you know, eight or nine years, guess what? They, you know, they really made money. And, and every year, you know, there's guys like me saying, sure. <laughs> there's guys like me saying, you know, stay out of there. But, you know, what I don't like about it is, is, is the fact that it's very possible if you look in the late 90s, you look at 2008, um, you look, you go back to 1987, even that you could be in there and you could be ready to potentially retire. And then boom, you lose 50% of your portfolio. Um, what I really like about this concept, again, velocity plus in particular is that you don't have that particular risk. I mean, uh, you basically, you know, if, if you have a 50% crash, you don't make money, but your money doesn't go, you know, your money doesn't take the hit. And then as that market corrects the next year, you know, it's another statistic, by the way, Christian, that, you know, even though the markets went up 17 and a half percent since uh, Trump took office, the same period of time when Obama took uh, took office, the markets were up 37 percent. That's not because Obama was doing anything oh. great. It's because we were recovering from the Great Recession during that period. So my point being that you have even if you have a bad year, the next year could very well be a you know, fantastic year in the S&P 500 that's then leveraged with however much leverage uh, you can get. You know, there uh, you were alluding to this, Christian, before, but for those who don't know uh, what wealth formula banking is, that is sort of the, you know, and we, we talked about this before where you had the option with your IRAs, you could potentially self-direct. the In the life insurance retirement plan world, wealth formula banking is sort of like the self-directed version of the IRA, isn't it? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a really good comparison, uh, with the advantage of just creating a whole lot more flexibility. Uh, we talk about asset protection and some of these other things, but we're really getting a significant amount of flexibility. But for, but but and so that kind of goes back to the question you asked earlier. If I'm if I'm someone that's been saving up in a four hundred one k for years or in an IRA for years. I say go use the self-directed IRA. It can be really powerful. It can be really, really a strong way to go. And yet, if you if you're a person that hasn't gotten too involved in the 401k IRA world, then if I'm starting from scratch, there's just so much more freedom and flexibility that can come from utilizing this life insurance strategy because we ultimately have the ability to put money into the policy, and we can go utilize that same dollar to go invest in other places at the same time without creating uh, challenges from a tax standpoint. So I'm a huge fan of using wealth formula banking uh, as really the optimal way to invest in, you know, just to invest in general. Right. I mean, so so ultimately just to review, because I know we've talked about this before, but both products give you leverage and velocity. The difference is that the, the leverage uh, in a in a velocity plus model where you're utilizing the stock market comes from borrowing from the bank, whether that's a three to one, which it sounds like for people who are, you know, that's sort of the lower level for people who are making a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars, they'll get at least three to one, but you may even get infinite uh, you know, basically you have nothing to put up. That's where your velocity that's where your leverage is coming from. Right? Now the difference with sure. wealth formula banking is that here you're not going to use money from the bank because the idea is you're going to borrow from this account. You don't want to, you know, you, if you borrow from the bank, then you're, you're not going to, you're going to create a little bit of a problem for yourself. But in this case, it's for a cash flow investor. Uh, and the cash flow investor takes money from the account, borrows it at a simple interest rate, and then deploys it into another asset uh, for cash flow. The net effect, and again, we won't talk about it in too much detail, is it allows you for you to grow money in two places at the same time. One, from your cash flow investment, and the other is uh, the money in the insurance account, which still continues to grow at a compounding rate, even though you've borrowed it, you're paying interest back, you're paying um, uh monthly interest but it's on a simple interest rate it gets complicated but it's it works and it's fascinating yeah yeah and once you like again going back to the math like once you understand it we can it might be more difficult to just conceptually speak about it right as soon as we show the numbers that concept becomes a lot more real 
uh, especially when we're starting to say, hey, you know, your simple interest here is going to be, you know, 30000 and in that same time frame, your compounded interest might be 75000 So it's really a unique thing. And, and the way I like to think about this is that just by we're just doing the same things that we're doing before, right? So if you're a cash flow investor, if you're a alternative investment type investor, then utilizing wealth formula banking and getting that extra layer of efficiency and extra layer of growth through this uh, creating value in two places at once, it's almost a no-brainer. Again, it's our job to make sure that you have the understanding to kind of see the value that exists there. But but really, I think you did an excellent job of describing the benefits of that. Yeah, I think I think ultimately, you know, one of the questions comes up, well, you know, what's good for me? I mean, if you're listening to this and you think, well, gosh, either one of those, if I qualify, well, Wealth Formula Banking, everyone can qualify. But, you know, with Velocity Plus, so you make $100,000, $150,000 a year or more, you know, um, if enough, I'm just looking at both of these products, is one of them better for me than the other? And the the way that I've answered that, because that came up uh, uh, once before when someone was asking me, was, no, they're completely different, right? To me, it's like, you have a portfolio of of investments now. Whether or not they're wrapped around with an insurance product or not, it doesn't matter. It, here, you're getting your exposure to the stock market. You're not taking the downside. So, if you want that to be part of, part of your portfolio, that's a very safe way to do it. Um, and then, if you're going to invest in cash flow real estate or anything else that's cash flowing, frankly, I mean, it's sort of a no brainer to add an extra layer of returns, right? Instead of getting just 9 or 10%, you can get 9 or 10% plus, you know, 5% compounding or 4% compounding or whatever it is. So, so either way, it seems like, you know, just so people know, I'm doing both, right? So, so Christian alluded to it earlier, but he's under underwriting um, a policy of a velocity plus type policy for me. And so I'm wondering, you know, because I know you've talked to a lot of people about both products. What are you finding people, you know, what's the decision point? What what do they talk about? Yeah, I think it's it's been really intriguing since we kind of launched Velocity Plus and started letting people know about it. Uh, had a really good reception because I think what's happening is, is that it, through the conversations, we're basically coming back to what... So we have basically a conversation that's about both of these concepts and strategies. And our goal is to figure out which one of these is right. And what we're finding is that oftentimes one or the other is right, depending on an individual situation and their ability to save money. That said, what we're also finding is that really everybody likes both of these strategies. They want to, they want to use both of them. So to the extent people are able they're just that you know we've had I've have uh, you know several people who have uh, kind of just decided to go both ways and say okay I'm going to use Velocity Plus as a way to to get that extra lever to create tax free income in retirement um, and then they've used uh, Wealth Formula Banking to just make sure that they're getting the extra layer of uh, return on their investment. So I think that there's a really great place for both. And for many people, it's uh, both of them. And and really our job again is to, to help help people figure out where do these things fit and if they do fit. You know, I appreciate you being on the show today, Christian. Um, You know, Christian has become Christian Allen has become my go-to guy along with his partner, Rod Zabriskie on um, wealth formula banking. um, And, uh, also for Velocity Plus, because of the fact that, you know, a lot of people in this industry are very dogmatic about one product or another. And usually you find it's because they don't know enough about the other product. The example of this, I think, is, you know, I've heard about, a, you know, a, a type of, a, and I've heard of products that were similar to this Velocity Plus product before. Um, but you know, somebody might have some strong opinion against it or strong for it. And, and, and ultimately what I found is that it really just came down to what that person was actually selling, you know, what that broker was selling. The great thing about Christian is he does it all. And, 
he's really approaching this as uh, you know a guy who is seeing the merits of it all and um, you know seeing how it can benefit people given their particular situations. Anyway, he and uh, Rod Zabriskie have done webinars uh, for our group, and uh, those are available on wealthformulabanking.com. Uh, you can see both of these products there. And like I said, I believe very much in these products. Um, you know, and, and I have, uh, you know, I can just tell you this. Now, when I hear about these products and you have these insurance companies that are in business for, you know, over 100 years and, and survive and they've been paying out dividends during the Great Depression and all these other massive setbacks in, in the economy where while banks have failed and all sorts of institutions have failed, these are incredibly strong institutions, these insurance companies. Um, and because of that and because of the way these products are you know, so reliable, I really believe that these products, if you take nothing else at heart, from what I do on the show or say on the show, say you never go out and invest in real estate. You never go out and invest in, in things that are uh, tangible because they seem scary, whatever. I mean, this should give you some layer of security, right? It's not that different. There is uh, insurance companies involved. So it's a, a product that you're somewhat familiar with. But the security of these types of products, um, along with the upside, is really somewhere that I can honestly say I have not seen anywhere else, nowhere. And so if you do nothing else but go to wealthformulabanking.com and check out these products, I will feel like I've done a good deed for you. Uh, what do you think of that, of that rant there, Christian? Is that fair? <laughs> I like it. No, I think yeah. it's great. And I, there was just a couple kind of final thoughts, if I could add to yeah, it, sure. that I felt like might be valuable for listeners. So um, you mentioned just this idea. There does seem to be this kind of divide in the industry over should I use traditional whole life? Should I use IUL? Should I use variable? Like there's, there's a variety of different things. And my take is that there's products and strategies that fit a lot of different situations. And like you said, Buck, generally what we find is that it comes down to who's selling what the same thing applies in the, you know, uh, on wall street in the brokerage world where, you know, there's some people who say avoid life insurance altogether because they're selling mutual funds. And it's just kind of this constant um, tug and pull. Really what I hope and what, what I hope we can do uh, to help people is see that there's a lot of different products and strategies that create value. We're talking about Velocity Plus and, and uh, Wealth Formula Banking, and these are two of the most powerful strategies that I'm aware of. And yet I also want to just suggest that as we continue to find uh, strategies that can be valuable, that can create real significant benefits in an individual's world. Our hope is to make sure that regardless of where it is or, or what it is or where it comes from, we're willing to implement that if it creates value and benefit for, for the listeners. Yeah. So that's kind of my approach. And, uh, yeah, I like it. Uh, hopefully I like it. That that's works why, uh, across the board. Yeah. That's, that's why I, I, I love working with you guys. So it's again, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, uh, Christian. I, I my pleasure. And, uh, I'm sure a lot of people thanks are going to me. talk to you. All right. Take care. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Now, who would have thought, right, that life insurance products could be so fascinating? I got a life insurance certificate because I got so interested in this, and some of you know I'm in, in the life settlement space, which we'll talk about in a sec, but and the more and more I realize is that these products are absolutely amazing. One of the things that we didn't talk about during this interview, which I think is really important, is another advantage of using life insurance products for retirement. 
So, you know, what are we saving for anyway? What are we saving for? Well, for one, we don't want to die broke, right? I mean, that's that's probably the biggest thing. We want to make sure that when we're old, that we're not broke and relying on our children to, you know, take care of us. Uh, but hopefully, a number of you, including myself, certainly, we are investing. I don't even want to use the word saving, but we're investing so that we can not only have enough for ourselves, but we can leave a legacy for our loved ones as well. Here's something, I mean, especially considering what just happened in Montecito with all these families and uh, unexpectedly, what if you don't make it to retirement? What if? Okay. I mean, no one likes to talk about that stuff. No one likes to think about it, but what if you don't? I mean, hopefully you will, but what if you don't? Your retirement account won't keep accumulating if you pass away unexpectedly. That is just the reality of it. And where does that leave your family if that's the case? Well, if your retirement is built into a life insurance policy, which is what we're talking about with uh, Christian today, you've got that covered as well. And I think that's, you can't underestimate, you know, how important that is. Again, life insurance products are quite amazing. These companies have outlived banks through the Great Depression, you know, the Civil War, and, and they continue to pay out dividends. They're incredibly strong companies. And the policies we've discussed before that life insurance policies are assets. The Supreme Court has said they are assets. They can be transferable. Um, you've heard me talking about life settlements, which I just alluded to before. But life settlements, for example, are an example of how you can use these things as assets as well. So they're, they're sold, life settlements in a nutshell, they're sold by the elderly. So they have something to live on now, right, before they die. Life insurance is and obviously you have the cash value, but the death benefit is really generally a lot higher for the way most of these policies are set up. The death benefit is the real value. I mean, of course, that's not the way Christian is setting it up. It's really much more valuable. But most of the time, unfortunately, it's really the death benefits that is the only thing that has great value. And what happens is that, you know, these policies can be quite expensive, right? So, a lot of people just stop paying their premiums and, you know, when they're, say, in their 80s and their kids are all grown up and, you know, they don't they don't really need it or maybe they're, you know, they've just decided that, um, you know, they'd rather have the money now and, uh, you know, they've been investing in, they've been investing the wrong way for years and all of a sudden they run out of money. It's, 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 it happens, right? Most of the elderly uh, who have these policies, they don't even know that they can do this. They don't know that they can simply transfer ownership of a death benefit and sell it the way they would sell a house or anything else that they don't live in. What do, what do you do with a house? If you have a big house and you're uh, you know, 80 years old, a lot of times you just sell it, right? You don't need it anymore. So you just sell it and you live on it. And you can do that with an insurance policy as well. And then when you do, and when people find out about it, it's actually a huge win for the elderly the policyholder, typically, uh, because they get money to live on today. And for the investor, well, when you buy life insurance, uh, when you buy a life insurance policy at, uh, say, a 50 or uh, 50% or more discount uh, from someone who's 85 years old, has a lot of health problems, well, that's a pretty safe investment. And probably even bigger, well, I don't know if it's bigger because, you know, uh, surety of any kind of investment is rare, but but another huge component of this is that this kind of investment has zero correlation uh, with any kind of the market. So anyway, if you're curious about you know how that works, because you know this is something that Warren Buffett through Berkshire Hathaway invests six hundred million dollars a year. Uh, it's it's one of those things that you don't hear about very much, but I think it's something that you know, a number of people are interested, particularly my health care people with doctors and stuff. If you're curious about it, go to wealthformula.com, check out the webinar. I did this. All you have to do is click on investment opportunities. And this is this webinar is purely informational. Um, it's something that you'll find interesting. Anyway, that's it for me today uh, on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. 
Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.